criticism. This is an important topic uh, worth our time, so we're just going to take a few minutes left to uh, dialogue about this. Uh, we don't want anyone to feel that we're just foisting this position on you without your opportunity to think it through with us uh, together. So some of you have sent me questions. I think I have nine of them. Uh, but I would like to privilege oral questions here, if we can. Maybe we can... Uh, double up a little bit. So are there any questions to start us off? Peter has a uh, microphone. Um, just feeling a little bad for Eric Little. I feel like, <laughs> well, we're not supposed to judge, but I feel like we just judged him. So doesn't it go both ways? judge him, but I'm so glad you asked the question because, uh, yeah, let me clarify. God honored, he honored the day in honor of the Lord, or he kept the day in honor of the Lord, and that's our freedom to do, okay? So I didn't judge him in the sense of saying that he shouldn't have done that. All I did was apply Romans 14 to his example. And so Romans 14, and this is where I know weak and strong sounds so judgmental, Right? But we have to be able to discern weakness in the faith from strength in the faith. And that's not judging. Judging is condemning. Judging is saying he wasn't saved, that he was wrong to do that. I don't think he was wrong not to race. In fact, it would have been wrong for him to race if his conscience was conflicted. Uh, so really good point. Uh, I'm just recognizing his righteousness did not come from Sabbath-keeping which I think we're inclined to do that. We are inclined to credit him some righteousness for resisting the pressure to raise. I don't think he gained any extra righteousness in doing that. Now, the Lord used him in a mighty way. The Lord was honored. And the Lord will use the weak and the strong to honor himself. So I love Eric Little. I love his example and I think his example was one of how a man who is weak in the faith with regard to the Sabbath can still bring glory and honor to God. I don't know if you want to follow up, but I, I'm sorry if it sounded or felt like I was judging him. I, I don't intend to. So that's a good point. Do you want to follow up? No. Thank you, Thank you for asking that. Any other questions? We have nine here. Maybe we'll do the first one. We'll go back and forth. So think while I'm answering this one. What, if we go to this, the question is, does Sabbath keeping also mean not putting God to work and letting him rest? And then there's a citation of Leviticus 23. Um, no, I don't think so. If you look at John 5, let me just open up there. should have marked this. John 5, verses 16 to 18. Uh, Jesus was being persecuted because of things he did on the Sabbath. Verse 17, 
But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And, and so without getting into all of that, uh, God is always working. Even on day seven of creation, when he rested, he was also working. That's hard for us to understand. How can you be working and resting? Well, his resting in, on, on day seven was with regard to resting from creation. It's a ceasing of creating. And yet he included day seven in the creation week. So we could have had a six-day week, right? God created in six days. So the work of creation took six days. Now, God from day one all the way forever is sustaining that which he created. That's work. On day seven, when he rested from creation, he was working in sustaining that which he had created. So, so I think... What Jesus is getting at there is that he's divine in, in so sort of outside of this in the sense that he has to work every Sabbath anyway because he is the son of God that sustains the world by the power of his word. So God doesn't need to rest the way that we need to rest. Um, so I hope that answers your question. So we don't need to keep the Sabbath in order to give God a day off. God is always working. Now, I just want to add to this. There is a sense in which God worked in creation and then he also worked in salvation. God's work of salvation is finished. Now, you might say, well, he's still saving people. So in that, yes, you're true. He's still saving people, drawing us to the finished work of Christ. But all that needed to be done for our salvation has been done. And Jesus is fascinating, as I brought up last week. Jesus finished that work. It is finished on day six, took a Sabbath rest in the tomb, I really believe that's why Jesus didn't just come back to life right away. He, he fulfilled the Sabbath by being buried on day seven and then inaugurated the new creation, which is a new creation of rest on day one. And Jesus is the light of the world who came out of the tomb on the day that God created light. So, so we have there this, you have this God working in creation, you have God working in sustaining, and you have God working in redeeming. He is finished in creating. He's finished in, in, in redeeming. He's still working in, in sustaining. And he is bringing to completion, I suppose, in some ways, his work of, of saving us in Christ. But all that he needed to do to save us has been done. So I would much rather approach topics like the Sabbath by looking at the broad picture like that. Uh, so great question. Any other questions from you in the flesh? Lona has a question. Just right up. Okay. Uh, first of all, I don't disagree with anything you said this morning, but um, with respect to the Sabbath and the fact that it was written in stone along with the Ten Commandments, sort of separate from the law, not part of the law, but distinct from the law, set out as being the essence of the law and more important. Um, where do you think, why do you think um, the Sabbath and the keeping of the Sabbath was placed in the Ten Commandments? Just to, just to add to that thought that but we also recognize that these Ten Commandments were carved in stone and then placed in the Ark of the Covenant, and then that covenant now rests in heaven. I think that gives 
the Ten Commandments a special place um, in that respect? Excellent question. I'm going to approach the question this way. You might want to follow it up. The Old Covenant had 613 laws. That's a lot to keep track of. So my understanding of the Ten Commandments is not that they were separate from the, the other 603, but that they were a summary of the 613. So basically, here's 613 laws, but if that's a lot for you to keep track of, keep track of these 10. Notice what Jesus did. He, he whittled it down further to two. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, which are also found in the, in the Torah. So what you have, I believe, with the Ten Commandments, the right understanding of the Ten Commandments is not to set them apart as special laws, which have to be more strictly adhered to, but rather it's God's work of summarizing. So 613 can be summarized by 10. The 10 can be summarized by 2. And, and what Jesus says is if you love God and you love one another, then you have fulfilled the Law and the Prophets, which I would say includes the Ten Commandments, fourth among them being the Sabbath. Pretty fascinating, right? When all of a sudden the Sabbath is about loving God and loving neighbor. So if we love God through Christ and we love one another, then we are keeping the Sabbath. I don't know if you want to follow that up. Just while you're thinking on that, let me just add, I really resist this plucking the Ten Commandments out as distinct from the rest of the Old Covenant or labeling it as the moral law. I, I, I really resist that. I think it is encapsulating all of the law. If you read them that way, it changes a lot of things. And then, and then the fourth commandment really is teased out by all of the different ways that God set apart times as holy. It's not just weekly Sabbath, but that becomes sort of a marker for all of the ways in which God set apart different times as holy in the Old Covenant. Follow up? Maybe, uh, Scott, take the mic. So mine is more of an observation. Two things. Remember, when you look at the Ten Commandments as a summary of, of those 613, the Fourth Commandment really is not a moral commandment as the other nine are. So it's, it is, I find some distinction there. But, but my observation, and I shared this with you, is that the only thing that Jesus was accused of regarding Sabbath keeping or not Sabbath keeping was the things that he did do. So Jesus spent his Sabbath recreating, in other words, doing good to others, loving the Lord God um, it, through the Trinity, his Father, perfectly, and doing good to others. And so often, I think, as Christians, we're even, as evangelical Christians, we're so concerned about all the prohibitions, we're forgetting that the purpose of the Sabbath is to glorify Christ in the body and to do good to others. I think that's the principle that we have to stick to. Let's go back to one of the submitted questions. Is the Lord's Day the New Covenant version of the Old Covenant Sabbath? This is such a good question because what, we've, what we do in practice, right, is we say, well, we keep the fourth commandment by keeping the Lord's Day on Sunday. Interesting fact, though, is that initially the Sabbath, which is day seven, and the Lord's Day, which is day one, were two separate occasions. 
In fact, if you want to be consistent scripturally, you would be better off to keep the Sabbath on Saturday than Sunday. See, the early church didn't say at the resurrection, oh, all of a sudden, let's move the Sabbath to the first day of the week. They said, we should get together on the first day of the week so that we can remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so there was some time there where you had Sabbath day seven and Lord's day day one coexisting. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. There's six mentions of um, Christians worshiping on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, on the Saturday, and only two mentions of the saints gathering on the Lord's Day, and there's only one mention of the Lord's Day, and we don't know if that's a weekly Lord's Day or an annual Lord's Day or a monthly Lord's Day, and that's uh, in Revelation 1.10, where John was on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day and had this vision, which becomes the book of Revelation. So we make much of that, and we're in danger of being careless in our, we slide the Sabbath into our Lord's Day when that's not even the same thing. They're they're two different occasions with two different historical antecedents. Antecedents means that which comes back and points forward to. So the Sabbath is Old Covenant, rest. The Lord's Day is New Covenant, uh, celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Any other questions? A few more of these then. Um, Question three here. Is the Sabbath interchangeable during the week? Can I pick and choose what day I rest? Uh, No. The Old Covenant does not give you that freedom. If you want to keep the Sabbath, you keep it on the seventh day. This kind of goes with my previous point. I, I see nowhere in Scripture that says, let's move the Sabbath to day one. The fact that Christians started meeting on day one, well, that's, that's its own thing. Um, so we don't have the freedom to play around with God's law and say, well, I'm going to keep the third day as, as the Sabbath. That said, resting one day in seven is a good idea. And since we're free to do that, pick the day and rest one day in seven. Uh, fourth question. Anyone, maybe I should say, any follow-ups to that? Yeah. Yeah, don't call it the Sabbath. Just call it, you know, that's my, my day of rest. Or call it the Sabbath, but I don't know. But it gets murky there, yeah. Any other follow-ups? Okay. Uh, question four. If the Sabbath was looking forward to new creation and freedom from sin, why don't we keep it? Are we not still looking forward to these things? That's a great question. Uh, we, we're not yet in the new heavens and the new earth, right? We're not entirely free from our sin nature, so why not still keep the Sabbath one day in seven as an anticipatory sign of that which is yet to come? Well, the, the problem is we are already enjoying the new creation and we are already free from sin. So there's this already not yet. We're Since, and this is where I said it, we are united with Christ. Since we are united with Christ, the eschatological age has already started. What I mean, eschatological is just a word that means end, end, study of the end. So the new heavens and the new earth has already started. It's already broken into history. Jesus is a part of that new creation. And since we are united with him, we are already in the new creation. And we are already free from sin, 
and we have our sin nature, but we've already been, the, the power of sin has been broken. We're already free. And so we keep the new covenant filled up version of the fourth commandment by celebrating what is already true of us, even while there's some that is not yet true. Now, I have four more questions. Should we do those questions? Any other questions from you? Buzz has a question. Oh, um, just to build on what Scott was saying uh, about doing good on the Sabbath, and that doesn't that automatically make that a distinct day? And um, we just celebrated the Lord's Supper, and it says, remember and believe. Yet the commandment also says, remember the Sabbath day. Um, so, can we forget about the Lord's Supper if we're asked to remember and believe? And can we forget about the Sabbath as a day set aside to remember the resurrection? Well, that, that's a good question. It gets to the heart of all of the issues, actually. And I feel almost inclined to preach it again. Um, but you put your finger on really something important. We are free to set aside one day in seven. So that's our freedom. It's not required for salvation. That, that's the key point. And, and requiring it is the problem. It's not the doing of it that's the problem. It's the requiring of it. Because it, it, it's subtle, but what it says is that there are certain things we still need to do to be right with God. And there's not anything that we need to do. Now we'll walk by the Spirit and we'll fulfill the law. Um, so it's not that we're being licentious and saying go out and sin and all, all the rest. And the Bible does call us to gather together regularly to, to partake in the Lord's table. So we are to do things, but, but those are not the same as keeping the Sabbath in an old covenant way. So we gather here every week. Not to keep the fourth commandment, but because that's something that the church has been doing for 2,000 years. So keeping them distinct in your mind is, is really important. Lisa. So then, if we have freedom to keep one in seven days as distinctive, then are we not looked on as weak? But that's not a pejorative thing. See, that's why I said it's offensive, right? We look at weak and strong and we, say, we get offended. And I just want to remind you that I didn't write Romans 14. So, but the answer is yes. Keeping one day in seven is, is an expression of weakness in the faith. And what I mean by that or what Paul means by that is we haven't, if, if we keep one day in seven, it's because we haven't thought through the implications of the gospel fully, or it could mean that. But we're free to do it. But then weak. That's, that's my, and I'm not taking offense to it, because I understand that's what the scripture says, but I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the fact that if you do choose in your freedom in Christ as a new creature, with a circumcised heart, trusting in him, living for his glory, 
to love one another, to do those things, then that is still observed then, though, as being weak in your faith. Some senses, yes. Uh, let me answer your question the opposite way around. What often happens is people who keep one day in seven point to that as being strong in the faith. And everyone who doesn't, they're weak or sinful. This flips that entirely upside down and says, no. Uh, there, we should not... We should not boast in Sabbath keeping. We should not be able to say, I am strong in the faith and the evidence is I keep the Sabbath. Which, which anecdotally, from my experience, people who keep the Sabbath seem to pride, be proud of that over and against those who don't. And I would say that the scriptures puncture that pride and say, no, that's not permitted in the church to boast in your Sabbath keeping. Uh, so that's one way, right? It flips everything upside down, and I recognize that. The other thing that I want to say is strong is not good and weak is not bad. We're equally righteous in Christ. So when we think of strong and weak, we want to get strong and we don't want to be weak. Better to be weak and keep your conscience clean than to inflict your conscience endeavoring to be strong. Strong and weak, it's a metaphor, not a, not a qualitative assessment. So it's not, say, it's not saying that that Christian who doesn't keep the Sabbath is better than the one who does. That's not what is intended. Uh, we're equal in Christ. Seek, seek your own hearts, though, and your own experience whether or not Sabbath keepers aren't proud of it. That's where, I would, that's where I would use Romans 14, not to beat down somebody who feels weak in their faith, but to puncture any misplaced boasting. And the reason I do that is not to be mean or cruel. It's in love that I do that because I don't want anyone to have a misplaced pride apart from Christ. And because, because there's eternal consequences to that. So it's, it's pastoral. It's necessary. Paul did it in Galatians. And I think we do need to burst the bubbles of people who keep the Sabbath as a point of pride. That's where it's dangerous. Uh, but be glad to keep the Sabbath in biblical weakness. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not less good than not doing it. I, know it's, I don't know if I explained that well, but we can talk more. I, I just, last thing, I'm sort of saying a lot of words here. I don't want anyone leaving here thinking, oh, our pastor thinks that people who keep the Sabbath are not as good a Christians as those who don't. It's not what I'm saying. That's not what I think. I, we're all on playing field, level playing field here. Keep the Sabbath or don't, equal in Christ. Not better or worse. Only time I have exception is if, if anyone finds pride in Sabbath keeping. Then, then we got to deal with it. Peter, go. I'm going to give you an opportunity maybe to follow up on that thought a little bit. Uh, I always hesitate to vilify or make worse one sin over another. So, uh, you know, classic cultural examples. You know, we vilify gay marriage, for instance, but we don't talk about 
divorce in the church. So, you know, we make one worse than the other. So in this instance, you know, we've, we're obviously talking about Sabbath keeping because it's important and saying, okay, this is something we don't want to make necessary for the gospel. Uh, but I think it's important to recognize that's not the only thing as Christians in our culture we make additional to the gospel. Because so could you just speak to that maybe and say, yeah, what are the other things that we insert in that category as well? And I'm worried more for if we're recording this than for you to be able to hear me. Uh, first of all, I want to just mention, you made an, an analogy with sin, and I want to be clear, and I don't think you're saying this, but we're not saying that your position on the Sabbath is a matter of sin, unless you're, you're prideful in your Sabbath keeping, then it's legalism, which is a sin. Uh, but keeping the Sabbath or not keeping the Sabbath is not a sin on face value. We, we do many other things. Uh, anything, uh, without being specific, anything that we do out of cold obedience falls into this category. Anything. Other than, I suppose, not sinning. But any, soup kitchen ministry. If I do a soup kitchen ministry, I might maintain my righteousness with God or maybe even add to it. Sharing the gospel with four people every day. That will maintain my right standing with God or maybe add to my righteousness. Um, whatever it is, right? So what, what are you doing because you feel like it tops up what Christ has done? Whatever you're adding to the finished work of Christ, that falls into this category. It's, it's having to get, get back to the, to the core conviction of the gospel, which is there's nothing left for us to do. It's so hard. So hard for us to understand that. It, you will never be more righteous than you are right now. You'll never be loved by God any more than you are right now, no matter what you do or don't do, if you have put your faith in Christ. So, you, there's so many different examples, I don't know. Yes. Could we maybe look at it as now every day is a Sabbath because every day we're resting in Christ? Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Every day is the Sabbath. That's the filled up version of the fourth commandment. Just to what you just said, that there's nothing left for us to do, but yet there is a lot left for us to do. So to maybe clarify that, there's nothing left for us to do for our salvation, but there's a lot left for us to do. There's a lot to be done in the work of the ministry, but none of it adds one drop of righteousness to us. None of it adds uh, any love that God has for us. God loves us as much now as uh, before we do the, those things as after. So it's keeping everything in the right order. So we are saved by grace through faith, not according to works. It's a gift from God so that no one may boast. So salvation is complete we are fully righteous, positionally. We are sanctified and made holy in our nature, and will, that will be completed when we're raised from the dead, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, and God loves us fully now as sons and heirs of the inheritance. 
Don't, don't have to do anything other than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for that. Therefore, we worship God. We respond to the finished work of Christ by living for him, by doing much. But none of that adds anything to what we've received. It all comes after. It's, it's worship. It's a response to. And, and we never fill up any righteousness in ourselves. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Follow up? Oh, there's a question over here. Friska. Uh, my question is a little bit off the topic, but within the same range. So uh, there is a brother in Christ who believes the gospel, but he traditionally comes from a, a Muslim community. And he also found a specific reference in the Old Testament that uh, forbids uh, people of the Old Testament under that covenant to eat pork. So although a Christian, um, his personal conviction is still not to eat pork as part of worshiping Christ. So how do we answer that, brother? Good question. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. That would fall exactly in the same category as, as the Sabbath, right? So we are free to say, no, I'm, gonna, I'm going to stick with the dietary restrictions of the Old Covenant. So long as you recognize that that's not required for salvation. And you do not require it for other members of the church. So, yeah, it would be exactly the same. Don't eat pork then. Uh, just like it's quite a, quite a trend not to eat gluten. And people who don't eat gluten feel pretty spiritual about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we can choose what to eat or not to eat. But according to the gospel, we can eat whatever God has given us to eat. It's a good, great question. <laughs> I forget the words of Jesus with respect to the entire Old Covenant and specifically regarding the law. The law says this, but I say this. So the law says you shall not murder. I say if you hate your brother. The biggest problem with in, the in the Christian church today is not that we are murdering each other. So if I have out with Peter, I will likely not settle that by murdering him, but by having a wrong heart towards him. So I think Jesus enhances, I think, Jesus specifically enhances and defines the purpose of the law by saying these things and showing that there's a much greater spiritual implication to all of these physical things, such as adultery, such as uh, murder, etc., etc., etc. Lona has a question. Um, I just want to maybe say something in defense of people who do celebrate the Sabbath. I don't think, in fact, I don't think I've ever run across a Christian who celebrates the Sabbath who believes that those who don't are not saved. I think they're doing it because they're convicted that that's the right thing to do, just as they would be convicted not to murder somebody, not to lie, not to cheat, whatever. I 
feel that in their heart, most of them are not doing it out of a sense of pride, but out of a sense of worship. And maybe they may come across as slightly judgmental, just as some Christians might come across slightly judgmental to someone who says they're a Christian, but lies all the time. So in defense of, of those who do celebrate the Sabbath. Amen. That's a great comment, and thank you for it. Um, and in, that, in those instances, Romans 14 applies. So they are free to do it, and it's good that they do it. They, they keep the day in honor of the Lord. So absolutely. I, I would just um, add to that that we all need to just really from time to time, make sure that legalism doesn't creep in. And I know that from my own life. Like, I'm not trying to point fingers at other people. My own life, I had a a massive uh, confrontation with this in my own life of just very subtle legalism uh, in me wanting to do good. This is about three years ago now. I'm not going to get into the details of it right now, but I had to really really searched myself with the help of my wife and other people, my elders at the time, to recognize that my desire to be obedient to God and my desire to do good created a legalistic tendency which said that if I did not do that, I would be less righteous or less received by the Lord. And my pastoral concern as was Paul's in Galatians, is Sabbath-keeping does open up Christians to that. It just does. That's Galatians. That's what Galatians is about. But I don't want to negate Romans 14. Keep the day in honor of the Lord. You're the Lord's servant, and God will honor you for that. But be careful. So, But thank you. I hear what you're saying, and I acknowledge it. Any um, yeah, so mine was kind of an observation. Um, I just wanted to like in my mind, I feel like pride kind of goes both ways in the sense that we can be proud in the sense to be like honoring the Sabbath, and that can be wrong um, to hold that day like um, as holy or to be holding on to that day as a, as a specific time um, to be worshiping God. But at the same time, I feel like on the other end of the aspect um, spectrum is that if we feel like there is no time required anymore that we need in order to worship God, it could also be a proud thing as well. And so we have to like have a balance in the sense that we still need to give God time and uh, and have that rest. I mean, I understand that we're supposed to gain our strength from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit now, and that we have that. Um, but I think God is pleased when we give him that time. Um, and that's what we have to do. Not look at the day as being like, oh, this is part of the law, but if we're going to be following the law of love, then we have to... Um, be loving to God and and give Him the time and respect as well. Um, 
And so I was just wondering if you think that God, like this would be my question, would be, do you think that God enjoys us um, or enjoys when we do honor that and give him the time? Um, I think that we should like worship that day, um, but at the same time, like just honor God in that. Um, and then, for example, like um, here in the Western world, we have church. And we do it for the morning, essentially. Other churches may do it after lunch as well or an evening service. Um, but in China, I know brothers and, Chris, um, brothers and sisters who will be preaching for six hours straight. And they call us in the Western world, we Christians, because we can only hold a strong sermon for 45 minutes to an hour. And they do it for six, six hours and then rest and have lunch and then do it again for another six hours and um, I know somebody who requested that if they send Westerners to their way that they only send those who can preach for six hours straight and I'm like wow that's I'm blown away by that <laughs> um, well you you bring up a lot of really good issues uh, I think I'll try and identify three First of all, I think there is a difference, boasting in Sabbath keeping versus boasting in not keeping the Sabbath. Because the Bible says that we are to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I will boast that I don't need to keep the Sabbath because it's in Christ. And what I'm doing there is honoring Christ and lifting him up and saying, look, he has done it all. And so I do think there's a difference. I, don't, I think it is better to boast in the Lord than to boast in the Sabbath. That's one thing. Um... But you kind of morphed into a separate issue, which I think in your mind it's related. And, and it, is, it is tangentially related. But if you can try and keep the Sabbath as its own issue, separate from this, the Bible does, in the New Testament, command us to gather together to worship. So, for example, Hebrews 10, 24 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And you, you see Acts 2, 42 to 47, where the, they were gathering together at the temple day by day. I would like to keep those two issues separate. Sabbath keeping is its own thing. Gathering together is its own thing. What I think is the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, and in addition to that, so we keep the Sabbath by resting in Christ, and in addition to that, God calls us to gather together regularly. But let's not call that keeping the Sabbath. Let's call it gathering together. Uh, and so we, we gather together on Sundays, which is not the Sabbath, it's the first day of the week. And so our expectation of membership at South Shore is that if you're in town, you'll come every Sunday. That's not because we think that that's keeping the fourth commandment. That's because we feel that there's value and because it's been commanded that we gather together regularly. So if we can keep those two things separate and not merge Sunday with Sabbath, that's really important. And as for uh, what you said about the Chinese church, amen, we... We're small in the kingdom in North America. Not everyone, and maybe you're great and I'm small, but, but we as a group are small in the kingdom, I think. But we're in the kingdom, so I'm glad about that. Uh, but, see, I think if we could use weak and strong differently than small and great, 
That, that would help us. So we're not saying strong Christians are great Christians. Okay? So let's say according to Romans 14, I'm a strong Christian because I don't keep an old covenant version of the Sabbath. That doesn't make me a great Christian. I'm still a small Christian relative to the, the church in every place in every age. So they're two different things. Um, and then, what was that last point? That was, there was one other point that you had there. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, you know what my desire would be is that we would do this and this wouldn't be strange. What, like, it's pretty late right now, I think. There's no clocks in here, but um, I love this. Like, if it was just up to me, like, let's get together all day every Sunday. But we're a work in progress. And no use getting too far ahead of the crowd. Any other questions? Uh, so just looking at a passage in Hebrews 4, it's Hebrews 4, 9 to 10. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Uh, so wondering about uh, the works there, what specifically would those works be for the people of God who are already in his rest? Are they works from before we entered into his rest? Or uh, This is a complicated text. Let me just locate myself in it. He's using rest with regard to the promised land, and then he brings in the Sabbath. And what he's basically saying is he's associating it with sin, resting from sin. If God had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is all, has also rested from his works. No, that's not about sin, sorry. As God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Okay, so there's the sin piece that I was talking about. This takes longer to get into, but I, I like it. We maybe should preach another sermon on Sabbath and do this. What he's basically saying here is the promised land was supposed to bring rest to Israel in contrast to their slavery. So you have a contrast of slavery and rest. But they never found the rest. Why not? Because of their sins. So they, they never actually found the rest that, that was promised them. Now the, the writer of Hebrews goes macro-typological on us. And he says the, the promised land is like the new heavens and the new earth. And he says so that Israel entering into the promised land is just a prophetic picture of Christ, Joshua, leading the church into eternal rest in the new heavens and new earth. And so in, in that section he's emphasizing the not yet that there's still more rest to come but I think just previous to that he's talking about how we find our rest in Christ so great question it deserves a whole sermon do you want to follow up no okay any other questions We'll just see if there's any other here that we should touch on, and then let's go to the beach. I'll do these really quickly. Uh, why is the Sabbath, one of the commandments, up for interpretation? Didn't Christ say that he had come to change the law but to fulfill it? 
That's a great question. Um, but understanding the Bible is always a matter of interpretation. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. So as we've talked about, uh, I, I don't think I need to say that anymore. We, everyone has to interpret the fourth commandment. Um, the next one, new moons are not mentioned in Leviticus 23, and yet you reference them in your sermon. Should we interpret the Sabbath and new moons in the same way? Well, I, this is a great question, because I did. I lumped new moons in with all the times that God had set apart in uh, Leviticus 23, and yet new moons are not there. Interesting, if you go back and listen to the sermon, um, every other time that God set apart as holy had its salvific counterpoint in the life and work of Christ except for new moons. New moons have to do with worshiping the creator instead of the creation. So every month, you're supposed to remember that you're not worshiping the moon, you're worshiping the one who made the moon. But there's no salvific counterpoint to the gospel that I can think of or that is mentioned in scripture. Every other one has, it's a typological picture of what Jesus is gonna do, which only reinforces the point that the weekly Sabbath, which is in this list of, time set apart as holy in Leviticus 23 has got its salvific counterpoint in the, in the gospel, which is resting in Christ. So great question. Maybe we'll just end it there. If I haven't answered your question, let me know. Oh, I better do this one last one. It's the last one. Why do we have to keep any laws in the new covenant? That is, you said we have to keep the filled up version of the law. Doesn't this contradict grace? That's a good question too. Are we saved by grace or by the things that we do? Well, grace does not mean that we can go on sinning. It's that simple. So there's nothing that we need to do for salvation. But if you have been saved, if you've been born again, if you, you've been regenerated, if you're really enjoying Sabbath rest in Christ, then you will walk by the Spirit. And when you walk by the Spirit, you will increasingly keep the law. Not because you have to, but because it's natural to you now. So I know, well, what about the sin nature? Yeah, we have that sin nature that wants to prevent us from doing what is now natural to us. But the whole point is God still ha has defined right and wrong, sin and, and righteousness, and New creatures in Christ will grow in righteousness. Not that they have to, they will. They just will. If you, that's the evidence of your salvation. If you are in Christ, you will grow in righteousness because it's been, the law has been written on your heart. It's no longer external from you. It's internal to you. And God gives you the power through the sacrifice of Christ and the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit to walk by the Spirit and to grow in righteousness at least in your behavior. So I hope that answers. We're not, we're not preaching licentiousness here. We're just trying to rightly understand the law. Anyone want the last word before we go? If I have offended you, I am sorry. I, I don't mean to. I'm just trying to be clear about these things. And I love you. I want you to boast in Christ. I want you to enjoy all the freedoms of Christ. If that has come across uh, severe at times or offensive, I, I am sincerely sorry. I, I want the best for each and every one of you. I want the best for this church. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to Tyndale Park. Is that a place where you wear bathing suits or no? Yeah? Okay. So there's a beach there. Okay. And bring your food.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, the fact that, that we stayed this long to talk about the Sabbath, and I thank you for all of the comments and the questions. And We don't, every one of us, we're not all exactly on the same page, and that's okay. I pray that you would help us in our differences, help us to love one another, and Lord, may the, the weak bear with the strong and the strong bear with the weak, knowing that neither is better or, or lesser than the other, that we're equal in Christ. But Lord, we know that some are greater and smaller in the kingdom, and there are some who are strong in the faith, according to Romans 14, who are small in the kingdom, and some who are weak in the faith, who are great in the kingdom. Uh, so Lord, help us to understand the distinction between those things. I pray for this church. Help us to grow in godliness, because we want to love you. We want to love one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.